Hey everyone, a quick warning before we start. This episode has some swearing in it. All right, hello everyone and welcome to another 20 Mile Podcast. We're really excited to hear another Entrepreneur's March today. So we're here today with our hosts, myself, Mike Williams, and Gabriel Barsante. And today, our founder that we're talking with is Todd Hogue. Now, Todd is the founder and CEO of MetaMend here in Victoria. He leads a team of about 10 people, and Todd does live here in Victoria, BC. He uh, was born here, but also raised in Nova Scotia and PEI, the other side of the country. He's single, available. <laughs> uh, he, he lives here with his, uh, his three-year-old son. It's out there now. Yeah. So Todd, his background is in uh, comp sci, but he left after about a year. Yeah. Had enough, it was time to uh, dig in and, and get going on something. So he left that pretty quickly to pursue opportunities, uh, one of which obviously ended up becoming MetaMend, which we'll talk about. In his, in his spare time, uh, you can find Todd recording in his studio out of his house with other entrepreneurs, as well as, you know, does work for The Zone and work with Jesse Roper and is the go-to music director of the Viatech Awards, our local tech award show. But, you know, other than that and hanging out with his son, uh, those are, that keeps him pretty busy. And Todd has a really interesting superpower, which I think is a really great one uh, for us all to be aware of. And that is listening, which I think is a really awesome superpower <laughs> that people maybe don't recognize enough or, or respect enough. But I'm, I'm really glad to hear you uh, bring that one up. So that's a cool one to keep in mind. So now I'll hand it off to Gabe and we'll uh, get going. Well, welcome, Todd. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. So, can you tell us a bit about MetaMend? Starting with, where did you get the name to begin with? Because I'm really curious about that. <laughs> well, we were drinking beer on the back of uh, our, one of the founders' decks, and and we just came up with the name. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't anything in particular. Meta meaning language, <laughs> and mend meaning fix. And so back, you know, roll the tape back 20 years. It was all about keywords and description tags and that kind of thing. And we developed some technology around that. And we were trying to shrink wrap it with a name. And um, so we just thought, well, we're, we're kind of fixing language is what we're doing. Meta tags, mm -hmm. right? So it was kind of synonymous with that. So yeah, that's where we got the name, MetaMend. So digging deeper, you can tell us a bit more of uh, what MetaMend does as a company when you guys first started and how you guys first started to where you are today. Yeah. So. So when we started, the, the official company name is MetaMend Software and Design Limited. And uh, so we started out as a bit of a software development house, uh, developing technologies around contextually analyzing a web property, distilling it down to its most meaningful keywords and description tags, and then uploading that information back to the web property on a page-by-page -page basis. And what year was this around? That was 98, okay. 99. We finally incorporated in 2000 once we thought we had enough tech to start a company with and uh, it was successful um, we started to get clients we were charging $16.99 a month US <laughs> and there wasn't a whole lot of competition at the time we started to see you know a, a pretty good bucket of clients and what we didn't anticipate was the level of customer support required to to uh, to satisfy those clients and it was primarily in North America yeah, it was North America, some some in Europe and some in the South Pacific. And, you know, we were quite excited about initially, you know, the amount of clients we were getting. We were starting to generate some revenue. There were four of us and we'd, we'd had one hire, so there were five of us at that time. 
And it was like Top Gun in there, we're all high-fiving. But because our price point was so low, we couldn't afford to service the client. So our model was broken. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to today, we're more of a consulting company. We've ditched all the, the software IP. And now we're, we're really just a, 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 a traditional, if you want to call it that, digital marketing company. Okay. You know, so we're doing organic SEO, conversion optimization, and paid search. So, you know, you guys started in 98. Today we're 2019. You guys have definitely gone through some waves in the economy with the, with the tech bus in, in 2000 and then in 2008 again. Yeah. Um, how was it riding those waves as a, as a startup at the time, too? Well, we were lucky enough to diversify our revenue with smaller clients. And if you remember 2000 and, and 2008, a lot of our competition that just went away had much bigger clients. They were targeting enterprise right out of the gate. And so their revenue wasn't as diversified. Mm -hmm. So when the shit hit the fan, both times, we lost a lot of competition uh, because of that. And you know, ultimately, we did start to target enterprise ourselves uh, in the last five to six years, and that was that was a good decision at the time. But now we're going back to more medium-sized business and, and enterprise kind of a combination. So we started with MSPs, went to enterprise, and now we're focusing again on enterprise. Yeah, we kind of rolled it back a little bit. Just to, again, to diversify our revenue. And the reason for that is um, because, you know, we kind of learned from our mistakes, I hope. We're anticipating another economic decline yeah. in the next two years. You know, all the trends are there to indicate that that's going to happen. So we don't want to be stuck with just enterprise clients again. Mm -hmm. We want to diversify that revenue so that uh, hopefully we can we can be in it for the long haul. Yeah. yeah. So you studied a little bit of comp side before uh, going to rolling up your sleeves and get and get it started in the business. Yeah. Sounds like you always had that interest in tech and and innovative things. How did you get drawn to marketing and met your co-founders? So prior to tech. I was waiting tables and my girlfriend at the time, she said, you know, you can't do this forever. And she was right. You know, and, and I said, okay, well maybe I'll, I'll try something else. And I thought to myself, you know, what, what do I enjoy doing? You know, and I really enjoyed computers from the time I was quite, quite young. You know, I was coding on a Texas Instruments Sinclair 1000. <laughs> You know, the little membrane keyboard. Now. Yeah, this is way back in the day. So this would have been 82, 83. Oh, cool. um, so I was coding like my golf handicap and just silly little things like that. Uh, and music, that was my other passion. So I thought, well, I was already kind of into music at the time. And uh, I knew it wasn't paying the bills, so I needed something else. So I kind of picked my second priority in terms of my passion, which was tech. And if you remember back in the day next to Monday Magazine, you know, on the, on the magazine rack, they had a, a, some kind of a business rag that had all of the email addresses for the CEOs of every business owner in Victoria. So I got that and I put every email address in the to field, attached my resume and hit send. And man, did I get flamed. <laughs> You want to use, you know, you want to work on the internet and you have no idea how to use it. And uh, anyway, one guy got back to me and it was a fellow working at a company called CSP Internet, which eventually got bought up by Navigata. Okay. So it was for a web development job and he hauled me in to the office. I didn't have a car at the time and uh, so I had to take the bus and that was out on Van Elman Way and... Um, 
And so I had my first interview, got called back for a second interview, got called back for a third interview. And in the third interview, I was tired of taking the bus and I was pretty broke. <laughs> and so I looked at Lyle and I said, look, I'm gonna do a really good job. I'm pretty smart. I've never done this before, but I'm eager and I'm tired of soup for dinner yeah. every night. Yeah. And he said, okay. So he gave me the job. And right around the same time I got that job, uh, I got a job with a fellow that had just defected from UNICEF out of New York. Oh, wow. And uh, he was starting an initiative in Victoria called the Communication mm -hmm. Initiative, which was the epicenter for communication for change. It's kind of a UN-funded organization. And so I was his first hire, and we took that to quite a level. Um, it, it got um, split into some work that we did down in Bogota, Latin America, and Africa. Mm -hmm. And kind of mirroring the site and a few months into that contract so this is all kind of happening at the same time I got a call about three in the morning from some people in Geneva uh, who wanted to know that and they just said you know we really liked what you did with the communication initiative could you do what you did for them for us and, and it's I, like this mid 80s or 90s no this is this would have been about 90 shoot 90 2000, okay. 2001, somewhere in there. And I said, well, sure, I'm interested. Who are you? And they said they were the Global Polio Eradication Initiative uh, for, for WHO, the World yeah. Health Organization. And so I said, well, let me get back to you because I've got to talk to my executive director from the Communication Initiative. I wanted to make sure there weren't any conflict with the funders who were all UNICEF uh, and, and other UN uh, organizations. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a a problem with that and Warren said go ahead so I did it so early 2000s I had this WHO contract um, and I had this contract with communication initiative and I was starting MetaMend so it was all kind of it was all about tech um, for the first few years and ultimately in 2004 um, I decided to let go of the communication initiative the WHO contract had just expired so I, it was just MetaMend after that and uh, it allowed me to focus wholly on that. Yeah. And so, sorry, the co-founder, is it just two of you or did you found it yourself? There were four of us. Four of you? Yeah, yeah, there were four of us at the time. So uh, it was two other guys I was working with at CSP Internet, plus one of our clients. Okay. Uh, complete pain in the ass client. He's a good friend of mine, so he would laugh if he heard this. <laughs> anyway, he had the idea that uh, maybe we start this, this automated SEO technology because we were already doing digital marketing. It wasn't called that back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, for all of CSP Internet's clientele. Most right. of them were on like dial-up, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, and it was coincided with the time of private Google too, where you had the ranking for the search engines anyways, right? So it's yeah, perfect timing for that. That's right. Well, Google was in its infancy too mm -hmm. when we started, right? I mean, Google was not a big player back then. It was Alta Vista and Ask Jeeves and Hotbot and oh, Dogpile. For a long time. Remember Dogpile? I do. Yeah. Put them all together. And Yahoo. <laughs> and, and it's like, and there was this, this other newcomer called Google. Yeah. They did all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and with the gold fund, you guys have complementary skills, or were you guys all marketers, or how did? You uh, so that out? Uh, one guy had, you know, a lot of business experience. That was the pain in the ass client. Uh, another guy was was doing some concurrent UN work with me, and and then another guy was actually a traditional marketer who'd gone digital. Okay. Yeah. So were you the technical 
Co-founder? I was nothing. I had no, other than my own self-taught yeah. learning on computers at home, I was, I was just eager to learn, really. So my web development job, my first day, uh, Lyle, a guy that gave me the job after three interviews, he handed me and this, this other fellow two books, and he said, what do you want to do, database programming or web development? I just picked the web development. Just and the other guy just took, yeah, the other guy took the database book. That's like the Matrix, red or blue. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I don't know what color the book was, but uh, it's probably blue. Who knows where you'd be if you took the other <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. I mean, you know, I look back basically 20 years and, you know, realize just how important it is to follow your passions. Because those things I was doing anyway. Yeah. So you might as well try to figure out how to make fucking money doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because um, it's the thing that's going to keep you up late at night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I really like uh, James, uh, Jim Carrey has a speech at the university. Speech, I've seen it, yeah. Right? Where he talks about that because it's like, why not fail at what you love rather than fail at something you don't, right? Exactly. So, uh, you know, you may as well pursue the stuff that's kind of, you know, you're gravitating towards. And, you know, maybe even back then you couldn't see the path to making money, but. Yeah. Because you know, those early days of SEO, right? Because, like, because I kind of think about it now, like, you know, where are we going with SEO and voice search and how is that going to change and yeah. all these things, right? And you almost don't want to be too early for some things, right? Like, Timing is everything. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm kind of curious about some of your thoughts um, on the future of, like, you know, maybe, like, how SEO has changed, and I don't need you to get into like details, but maybe some of the stuff like early on that was worked well, and then you know how much that's changed now, and then and then just kind of touch on where you think it's going. I feel like websites are evolving into something, and chatbots are kind of coming forward, and voice search, but I don't know. Like it feels a little bit like just too early right now to be like you know the leader in those spaces because is there money to be made, but. I'm curious to get your opinion on that. Yeah, well, I mean, starting kind of from from front to back, I guess. Sure. You know, it's it's all going mobile now. I think eighty percent of searches now is the latest stat are from a phone. Wow. You know, and that's most of that's text driven, like thumb driven. Yeah. Um, but where it's going from here is going to be voice, right? Dictation. Yeah. So your you know technologies like Siri and Google um, are going to be I think kind of paramount in, in how that plays out. Uh, but you know rolling it back, it was really when we started you know in in the early two thousands, it, it was keywords mm-hmm. and it was descriptions. So you could really game the system by way of just stuffing whatever keywords you know you thought would would attract Google mm-hmm. and in turn increase your ranking to um, to give a priority and, and to give you more conversions ultimately. You know, doorway pages and all, all that oh, kind of, remember that? that term in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, link farms, Yeah. you know, remember all that kind of behavior. So, so Google's always kept their cards really close to the chest in yeah. terms of, at least back then, in terms of their organic algorithms and, and, and not disclosing that to people like us especially because that's what we're here to do is not to game the system but to try and you know create the most conversions for our clients possible so that that requires looking at what Google was doing versus what 
it's doing now versus where we think it's going. And we're always trying to connect those three dots, mm -hmm. right? Uh, to, to, to kind of uh, forecast what the trends will be. Um, and sometimes you miss and sometimes you nail it, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's kept us working, that's for sure. I don't think that there's anything really mysterious about what Google's doing, yeah. you know, and fast forward to now, we're, we're kind of a, well, we are a premier Google partner and we're one of only several in Canada and we have reps over at Google who tell us how things are working, mostly on the paid side because mm -hmm. they want you to use their ad yeah. platforms because that's where Google makes their billions of dollars. Right. On the organic side, they're still pretty tight-lipped about it, but you know it's becoming more and more apparent how those how those types of things work. But really, if you want to get found, it's it's really about the paid game now. That's yeah. where it's going because every vertical is becoming so saturated. Yeah. If you were a plumber twenty years ago, and you had the first plumbing website, you're going to get found for plumbing in Victoria. Yeah. Now you've got a hundred, two hundred competitors just locally. Right. Right, so things like geotargeting and all that kind of specificity type stuff is really important if you want to get found. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons that we decided to go and target enterprise. Because if you take a brand like Nike, and you know the difference between page one number one and page two number one could be millions of dollars a day in revenue for these big brands. So they're willing to throw a lot of money at that problem of not getting found. Mm -hmm. And they throw it at companies like us. Yeah. When you were getting started, did you guys decide to raise money? Did you bootstrap it from when your previous job? How did you guys get that ball rolling and find the first We were drip financed. It was a lot of friends and family rounds. Okay. You know, I've got a cap table of in the tens of shareholders. Mm -hmm. I don't know all of them. Oh, wow. You know, they're pretty quiet for the most part, which is good. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was really just trying to wean ourselves off off of the drip financing and, and into you know becoming a cash positive venture and so that was kind of the that was kind of the direction we we wanted to go in and ultimately about nine eight eight or nine years ago I think we became cash flow positive like continuously yeah yeah I'm kind of curious you know you had four founders uh, don't take this the wrong way, but why are you the CEO? <laughs> you know, is that something that you like? Really well, let me tell you, for? Mike. I don't know the other guys, but... Because they all left. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm the last founder standing because everybody else wanted to move on and do other things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed the job. You know, I started out as a director of website development and, you know, and then I became a director of operations and then ultimately where I am now. Um, but, you know, really the interest in, the, in, in all of this has never really changed for me. You know, the job has never really changed, even though the title's changed. Sure. It's still the same love of tech and because it's not really about the technology. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell my staff all the time, this, we're not a tech company, you know, we're a relationship company. And, and really, every business is that. You know, if you're not focused on relationships, you're fucked. Yeah, that's so true. You, you can completely shit the bed on a on a contract and at renewal time. If you have a good relationship, they might come back and renew. Right. And that's happened to us. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, you have to focus on relationships. You have to focus on people. I'm on a I'm on a, you know, the alternative board tab. 
So yeah, it's, a, it's a local organization. Anyway, it's like a just kind of an outsider's board, and they've been pivotal in kind of helping me deal with a lot of the emotions of running a company. Mm-hmm. And what I found from the other founders that are that are on the board is that if you boil down ninety percent of their problems that they have on a day to day basis, it has nothing to do with you know financials, you know funding, revenue, you know expenses, any of that stuff, it's people. It always boils down to people. So in, in my mind, you know, the better you are at dealing with people, the better off you're gonna be at running your business. So you touched on a very interesting point. Um, we, we, Mike and I have chatted about this before as well, is how 90% of the problems are people problems um, yeah. that you need to solve, and then the relationship, the importance of having that yeah. as well. When you were, you were young, first time founder when, when you started and you moved into different roles. So how, what was that evolution like for you as you moved roles and you had to adapt to your new role, your new responsibilities, um, dealing with the different teams as it grew as well at different stages? Uh, yeah, like, like I say, it was, I never really felt a change because mm-hmm. it all, always felt so natural. And my mind was always from the get-go because I'm a founder. So the, my mind's always been on the growth of the company. And whomever I hired, you know, they were always, in a way, answering to me just because I was a director instead, right? So it's always been, for me, the same role. I mean, you could call me head dishwasher right now. I really don't care. At the end of the day, I'm focused on creating wealth for the shareholders, creating stability for my staff and myself. And the, and the and the encompassing families for all those people. You really feel stuff like that at you know Christmas parties and things. You know, all their families show up. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of um, humbling, I guess you'd say. Yeah. You know, because the amount of um, people you affect by that. So, I mean, I've never really felt any different then than I do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've kind of touched on it a little bit or alluded to it, but you know, I'm I'm always curious of uh, what type of CEO people are or what type of leader they are you know because I find there's people that are really good at finance or they're really good at tech or they're really good at you know managing people or sales or whatever it is I don't know that you can master all of sort of the disciplines of being a CEO you know, maybe right. you get good at three or you master one and you hire people for the rest yeah so I'm kind of curious you know like what type of CEO do you think you are or maybe a broader question because you say you know it doesn't matter what your title is what type of leader are you well, okay, so it's a good question. I don't know, really, but I, I, I can tell you my, my kind of core philosophy. You know, you see a lot of kind of business diagrams on how businesses are, are, are organized, like organizational structure. And it's like, you know, you got the CEO at the top and then and it's, you know, their executive level down below that. And then you've got everybody else and kind of shit flows downhill. I don't like that. I think the way it should be is you take that pyramid and you turn it upside down. Yeah. You invert it. And the CEO's at the bottom supporting everybody else at the top. You know, you need a tool, you need, you need you know, funding for this, you need an expense line for this. Um, like, what do you need? So I'd look at my job as, A, set the vision over here somewhere, and then B, get the hell out of the way and let people do their jobs because mm-hmm. you should be hiring people that are smarter than you, mm-hmm. right? If you're not, then you've just got a job, not a career. Yeah. And then C, supporting all of those people. That's it. Real simple, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not, but it, you know, on the day-to-day basis. But philosophically, I think it's a real simple concept. I think yeah. a simple concept in, in, in the actual action there and, and is the difficult part, like having the discipline to, to not override people or overrun them and, and you know, stick back and say, you know, I'm just going to help and support. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's tough as human beings because we want to we want to do things. Yeah. Right. And and when you get to that point as, of being a leader, it's not really a lot for you to do, and there's not really a lot that you should do. Right. Right. You're there to support, like you said. So you know, I think that's where the, the difficulty in it is is having the discipline to, to actually do that. Yeah. It sounds like you've got a pretty good handle on that, though. Yeah, I I, I hope so. <laughs> you know, um, but again, I don't know how you categorize that as a CEO. You know, it's it's um, I don't know, set it and get out of the way. Yeah, CEO. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I I you know I, I think of you know maybe one of the things that I didn't mention in the type of CEO is just like a like a straight up people CEO. I guess. You know, like a, like yeah. a team CEO. You've mentioned a lot about people, whether the clients and relationships yeah. or people in your yeah. team and managing and, and helping them. Uh, and within all that, you kind of mentioned something interesting as well is, is emotions. Right. And I'm kind of curious about your, your like personal emotional management. Oh man. <laughs> you can go as deep as you feel comfortable. I'll give uh, you my therapist number. <laughs> uh, and how that translates into helping other people, because if you're coaching and leading, the thing that gets in the way is people's emotions and distractions and personal life and whatever from just you know doing the job because we aren't robots so i'm kind of curious how you manage yourself and your team when it comes to emotions and real life yeah so so emotions for me don't they don't start at work they start at home right it's like you get up in the morning and you're kind of like okay so how do i feel about all this stuff i've got to do today right and you kind of deal with that there's that kind of the apex of it and then it's you know, you get ready for work, and then you, for me, I'm kind of an introvert with extrovert tendencies, right? Okay. So for me to go in and like lead people, it's kind of a, I have to get into a bit of a shell to do that. And so, or be in any kind of a group setting, right? Um, and I live in the chosen, so, so when I get to go home, you know, it's back to, you know, the sticks and, and just completely unplug and light a fire and, you know have a glass of wine or whatever and, and think about all the stuff that I did that day or have to do tomorrow. <laughs> um, but emotionally, I mean, for me, it's, um, I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy. And so I'm always working to kind of temper, you know, how, how I'm feeling so that I'm more even keeled, you know, at least optically. Because when you're leading people, um, they need to see that you're confident in the direction that's been set and that even though things may look a little rocky, mm-hmm. that um, it's going to be okay. And it is going to be okay, right? You know, anybody that's run a company and has woken up at three in the morning wondering where they're going to get 10 grand for payroll tomorrow knows, knows that that's a pretty scary feeling. And you do that a couple hundred times and it's like, okay, you realize at some point that I've done this for years. This is, you know, this is not news. And then you get to a point where now the company's doing well and you can breathe and you don't have to feel like that anymore. So, you know, emotionally speaking too, I think there's a lot of feelings of isolation, I guess, Mm -hmm. loneliness, uh, because you kind of feel like nobody else really gets it sometimes. So that's my internal narrative 
recycling is often that it's like, what do you mean you don't want to come in today? Right. You know, you know, or what do you mean you think this? Don't you understand that? You know, we we're here and we have to go over here. You know, so I don't know if that's very clear, but but do you know where I'm going with that? It's it's kind of a maybe a founderitis kind of feeling, you know, which which is just your you, you tend to hold on pretty tight to the idea of of being successful because mm -hmm. you don't want to go back to eating soup every day, right? You know, in some cases, so yeah, right. So there's yeah. a lot of motivation by fear. Yeah, you know, to do well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I know there's like a negotiation tactic where you know people don't want to lose the stuff they already have. Yeah. Right. And so if you've spent all this time to like build that, that yeah. could be emotional. Just the thought of like, well, but what if it wasn't there? What if? Yeah. You know, I didn't have that anymore, and so that's almost what keeps you driving. But it maybe comes from a place of fear, it and does. then and then you get good at it. And how do you how do you change it? How does that come from a place of you know, anything but fear. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's almost, you know, potentially it works for you. It works for maybe every entrepreneur, right? Yeah. But, but there does come a point too where I think you have to realize that, you know, if you're holding on to things too tight, yeah. you're not growing either. Right. So you have to be able to let that stuff go. Yeah. Right at some point. And, and it was a year or two after we became cash flow positive, I think that I had to kind of let that whole fear-based motivation thing go. Because what I was doing was, I was anchoring myself emotionally, yeah. right? I wasn't able to, to try new things for fear that I would lose what we'd already built. Right. And so it wasn't until I let that anchor go that I was able to try new things again. And you touched a little bit on this just the last couple of minutes, but what was your biggest challenge that you faced as a company and as an entrepreneur? Um, so far. People. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. yeah. It's been the hardest thing out of like, again, you know, back to that ratio, mm -hmm. right? It's been 90% my issues have been around dealing with myself, not just other people, but myself and, and, and difficult personalities, you know, hurting cats sometimes, yeah. you know, I like to call it, but, um, yeah, that's been the toughest challenge. The math is just, it's just math. It either works or it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you know, coming up with a strategy and looking at the numbers and, and all that, you know, is fairly easy, um, especially if you just pull away and you're like, okay, well, here's where the numbers work out. Here's the strategy, let's go execute. But where it becomes challenging is getting people to actually execute and stick to that because they're people. Right. <laughs> and they all have different motivations and different things that drive them, personalities, life choices, whatever. Right and, and getting them to maybe see it in the same way and how you how you do that and you know I think it's with every company I, I kind of see it as like people and communication right below that because that's where everything gets lost and like you Absolutely. said it this way I completely heard something different and I went off and did that and you're like he's got it and I come back and you're like nope that's not what I wanted at all yeah you know because communi communication is really hard it really is and being especially when it comes to difficult issues yeah. and having to be clear about, you know, your intentions, what you want. And sometimes you have to agree to disagree <laughs> with people. And, you know, when it gets to that point, then you have to start to play, you know, 
chess with yourself a little bit. And you're yeah. dealing with egos too, that gets in the middle of conversation or, or paths as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if, if I had to say what, what are 90% of the issues in the 90% of the issues <laughs> of dealing with people, it's ego. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. You know? So, so it's, it's really about kind of, kind of managing people, managing egos, managing your own ego, because we all have one. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, not looking too far in the future, I think. You know, because I, I really do believe that the past is vapor. Right. And the future hasn't happened yet. And those are the two areas that people always get caught up in. Right? So if you believe in that premise, then really all you have is right now. That's the most important thing mm-hmm. is this very moment. Right. Because that's kind of the only thing that exists. Everything else is gone. Yeah, yeah which is always a challenge because as a CEO, a big part of your job is set the vision. Where yeah. is this going? When you're an entrepreneur, we're building this company because we're going here. Yeah. And you can really easily get caught up in that future, kind of maybe like futuritis. Yeah, right? future And then you come back to your desk and be like, here's what I'm doing now because we're going here. Sure. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in that way of, of kind of thinking, right? and um, but you know as you're setting the goals for the company like you know the future is five years ten years twenty years and it's a north star and we're set it and we're going there or at least we're driving towards that yeah and then you work that back to what you're actually doing today and then you've got to just live there yeah right from there yeah because you know there's 24 hours in a day you can only do so much yeah and uh, what I started doing early on too is uh, I've always got a little book with me I don't seem to have it right here, of course. Nah. <laughs> but I usually have my little book. It's a hardcover book. And before I open my emails in the morning, you know, I'm just sitting down at my desk. I'll jot down just kind of like stream of consciousness, not even oh, cool. in any priority order. The things that are bugging me, things I need to get done. You know, all that. So, so it's just kind of a quick core dump. Yeah. And then as the day goes on, I check those off as they're done. And it's funny, some days I look back and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did all that. And some days you get nothing done, right? Because right? you get distracted by some other priority. But I found that helps me um, because some days you feel like you've accomplished nothing. So to be able to look back and go, actually, this week I did quite a bit. Yeah. You know, kind of feels good. No doubt. Uh, just to kind of go back, if, like if you were to start today, what would you change? Oh, right? Man. You know, if there's kind of one thing or, you know, something that sticks out, it's like, I wish I'd done this differently. Biggest thing for me, I think, is hiring practices. Right. And the people that I brought on board, you know, I'd like to say I'm a really good judge of character. I don't think that I have been. I might be better now. Yeah, we've had some real interesting situations that I don't want to go into here <laughs> <laughs> through, through people that I've hired. So... There are different questions I would ask now than I asked before. You know, there are different, I guess, traits that I would look for in people now than, than I did before. Yeah. You know, just because that's what's going to make or break you. You know, so that's something that I've consciously tried to improve on. You know, every time we hire is, is, uh, is am I asking the right questions? You know, is this person really the right person? Because anybody can be a rock star for, for an hour interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And then, and then you hire them and you've got, you know, that kind of three-month window. 
uh, where where if it doesn't work, then that's fine. Yeah. Right. But some people are smart enough to go beyond that three month window, and then they turn into an asshole. Right. And you know, so then what do you do? Right. Right. And you're kind of stuck. Yeah. So, you know, there are ways around that too, but it's uh yeah it's it's I would say hiring would be the biggest thing I would. Yeah. So do you feel like you've got that hired process to a place where it's pretty good? Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. I mean, what what I would like to do really is is to is to have somebody on board that really knows what they're doing. Right. That's like an HR person. We're not quite there yet. We're not big enough for that. But I would like to have a, a an HR person be camping on these types of issues as their job. Hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I've always found the interview process kind of a weird thing, where it's like you're gonna come in and you're gonna do this job, and it's a web programming or writing thing. It's like let's talk about that, and you tell me how you're good at it. Yeah, like they're they're two totally separate things. Yeah, right. Like it's like why aren't we testing these people on this stuff, or why aren't we following up? Yeah, but I, you know, I, I feel like that would be a good place where your you know your superpower of listening, right? Just if you ask the right questions, you just get them talking. You can probably let them either talk you into it or talk you out of it. That's right. But yeah, there's so many biases and so many things wrong with interviewing and hiring. It's yeah. I don't know that anybody's got it nailed, right? Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, time is the real test in any case, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People's true colors—you don't really see them until, uh, you know, until something bad happens, right. and, and it's stressful, and then and for everybody, and then you kind of see how they react in a situation like that, yeah. and how they manage other people, right? Right, and the stresses around them. So that's always something I'm watching. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and, and going deep in some areas and sharing your story. I really uh, think that was great. And uh, thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. again for the time. Uh, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Check out our other episodes on Apple and Google Podcasts. I think you can find us almost everywhere now. SoundCloud, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, or everywhere. Stitcher. Stitcher, you name it. <laughs> And also check out our website at 20mile.co or follow us uh, at 20mileco on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or anywhere else where you can find us. Until then, keep marching on.